by book. Here we are. Do you know where we are? Actually, it's in California. We're in the Westminster Presbyterian Church at Westlake by Agoura Hills, uh, which is actually where Johnny Erickson Tada is our special guest because she lives very near there, don't you, Johnny? Yes, I do, just down the freeway a bit. Wonderful to have you here. And, of course, here's Paul Blackham, our colleague, who's from London, England, like myself. And what we'll do is continue in our series of discussions on uh, the book of uh, Philippians. Paul's letter, and uh, written from prison, AD 63, that's about at the time. Yeah. And uh, Philippi, which was a colony in the Roman Empire at that time, under pressure. And yet, so Paul is able to encourage them all the same. So we're looking at uh, chapter 3, and we'll let's do verses 1 to 21. I think that would be a good section to look at as we come to study number 5. Let me read verses 7 to 9, if I can do that. He writes, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He goes on, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is Paul the Apostle, one of the most girl-orientated people in the whole of history. As we take up this uh, study now, Johnny, may I start with you? Um, given that this chapter has actually got quite a lot of conflict, particularly at the beginning of the chapter when he talks about the false teachers, how can Paul begin with the command here to rejoice? Finally, my brothers, verse 1, rejoice. Ah, well, I think he must have uh, been thinking that it wasn't only his command, it's Christ's command. And no doubt when Paul gave this command, he was thinking of the words of the Savior in John chapter 16, where, where Jesus says that uh, we should take heart because he has overcome the world, even though that in this world we would have trouble. And then again in Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus says, Rejoice when you suffer all kinds of insults yeah. and persecutions. Leap for joy, Jesus says. So we have the command of Christ to rejoice, and we have the example of Jesus Christ to rejoice. And when we are called to rejoice as well, if our master did so, should we do any less? We follow his example, and his example was always to rejoice, always to have confidence in the Father, despite whatever hardships he was working through. So when Paul commands us to rejoice, he's thinking of Jesus. Mm -hmm. There seems to be an undercurrent in your life, Johnny, this rejoicing. It's different from just sort of hap hap happiness, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, I, I think that often... Uh, of uh, that portion of scripture in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 where we fill up in our flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Mm. Nothing is lacking in terms of what Jesus did on the cross, mm. but what is lacking is somebody in the flesh to show the salvation story. And that's why it is so important that yes, we imitate Paul, yes, we imitate our Savior and rejoice in our suffering. Mm. And here they were, they were going through a rough time and persecution and false teaching, Paul Blackham. Do you see that there? Yeah. In verses 2, watch out for those dogs. He describes them as dogs. Mm. Those men who do evil, 
those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about false teaching, basically. Can we work out who they really were, these false teachers? Well, we can, and it's the same false teaching, really, that we see all the way through the New Testament, whether we would look at, maybe if I looked at one cross-reference, it'd be Acts chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2, where you get it just summarised for us really briefly. It says, Acts 15 verses 1 and 2, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Mm. And we see that same conflict in uh, Corinthians, Galatians, mm. Ephesians, Colossians, Titus. They weren't uh, saying you, uh, you must stop being Christians. They were no. saying you, you aren't real Christians because <laughs> that's not right. enough. They're saying, oh, no, no, Jesus is okay, but, of course, what you really need to be accepted by the Lord God is um, Jesus plus uh, circumcision, obedience to the law. You know, Jesus is good as well as, but he's no substitute for real, good, hard, old-fashioned obedience and your own righteousness like that. (laughs) And and in each case, of course, Paul's like, Every time he says, this is not a side issue. It hits at the very centre of what the gospel is. And it's recorded for us over and over again because it's the same old conflict of false teaching that occurs in every generation across the world. And it always comes down to the same issue Mm -hmm. about where's your confidence. And he's saying, he says the word watch out three times in verse 2 in the original. Watch out, watch out, watch out. He's so anxious that they, when these people come and say, yeah, well, you know, you, it, it's, good, it, it's but... good, but there's this as well. <laughs> He's like, you should be horrified because it isn't like that. It's an either or choice, always. Either you're trusting in Jesus or you're trusting in yourself and that you can't have a mixture of the two. Yeah, and I suppose what, what they couldn't bear was seeing Gentiles like you and yeah. me coming into the old covenant yeah. you know, of God with, with his people, yeah. uh, coming in by the side gate without going through all of the initiation ceremonies you know, of, of ancient Judaism. Yeah. That seems to be the problem. And also, I think we've got to reckon that this was a problem in the Old Testament too, yeah. because in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, the prophet there, even then the Old Testament says, circumcise your hearts, yeah. you men of mm. Judah. Yeah. It's mm. what's going on in the inside that is a mm. real importance. And I do think that we've been plagued, I mean, when I think of all of the ancient sort of the heresies of the church uh, that have come up and plagued us, uh, some of those deviations, you know, Nestor- we've done them in church history, Nestorianism, Apollinarianism, Arianism, Docetism, and I think the verdict of history is that in the end the isms all become wasms. It's like something like that. They disappear in the end, but we have to fight our way yeah. through all of this tangle. Mm. It's very hard, but uh, we take courage from, from Paul here, very much about it. Um, and Johnny, why does uh, Paul then bother to list all his religious, so-called, achievements? Because he goes on then to say, if anyone thinks he's got confidence in these things, i got more. And then it says, Mm. I was circumcised on the eighth day, Hebrew of the Hebrews and all of the rest. Well, he seems to be playing the same game his critics were playing. Mm. 
you know, okay, you, want, you guys want to see uh, my religious credentials? Okay, let me list you for them. I, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. You could not find a better Hebrew than I was. But then he says, I count all of this as rubbish. You know, before he came to Christ, all of those religious credentials were in his prophet column. But after he came to Christ, hearkening to what Paul just mentioned, he realized that they were not only in the minus column, those things were not only rubbish and of no profit to him, they were damning. Because the thing that God despises most is that religious spirit that Paul was just speaking of, boasting in our achievements, boasting in the fact that we've served in so many committees at church, boasting in the fact that we're regular attenders on Sunday services. You know, God is not interested in these things. He's not interested in uh, what a fine Pharisee or Hebrew we are. No, it is all Christ, only Christ, all for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul is boasting in. If you bother to count, the name of Christ comes every two verses on average, right through this letter. He's Christ-obsessed, he's Christ-centered through and through, and it's so helpful for us to see that. I'm looking on a little bit, actually, at verse, well, you know, there's so much, there's verse 10, but I'm looking at verse 11 at the moment, mm. um, 10 and 11. What do they mean, Paul? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, it picks that right up, doesn't it? Paul wants to know Christ. It's so interesting when people say, I want to find myself. I want to know myself. I'm taking a year out to find myself. You think, well, yeah. <laughs> but um, he says, I want to know Christ. It, that's where everything is to Paul. That's his ambition. I want to know Christ. And then he says, the power of his resurrection and sharing in his sufferings. And the two go together in a sense because as he's born again and shares that life of Christ, he finds himself walking the way of Christ, which brings him into opposition and conflict and all those things. So that happens. But it also, it's, it's, you think, well, why would you want to share in the sufferings? Because he wants to know Christ. And that's, we've come up against, we've come into this truth several times yeah. in our programs that um, Johnny was saying that the way that God gives us his joy is he says, in the sufferings, that's where I give you the joy. Yep, and, and, and that's why the next part of that verse where it says, become like him in his death. Mm. Mm. Nowhere do we find the life of Christ more buoyant and effervescent than when we become like him in his mm. death. And what does that mean? Well, when we become like him in his death, we daily take up our cross and die to the sin that he died for on his cross. That's when we become like him, when we die to the sin that he died for and daily take up our cross. And boy, when we die to our sin in such a way, and I tell you, it takes the power of the resurrection, right? Yeah. To die to that yeah. kind of sin, those yeah, housebroken yeah. sins, those domesticated yeah. sins, yeah. those sins we quote tame and try to make our own. When we do that, Boy, then when do we, we really experience life and joy and peace and power in his perspective. It's, it's a lifetime exercise and it's a huge thing. Do you like that verse then, verse 11, somehow, somehow, somehow <laughs> to attain to the resurrection from the dead? I think it's along the line of saying, somehow or other, I seem to be a follower of Jesus. It's, mm. He's not saying if by some way or other mm. I can attain. He's not saying that. He's right. saying... Amazingly. It's like amazingly. Yeah, yeah. amazingly. Oh, somehow, I, 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 here I am. Yeah, yeah. That is that kind of somehow that we're talking about here. I love it. I love it. Verse um, well now 12 to 14, if we've just gone a little bit, uh, Johnny. Or maybe Paul for the moment. 
My question would be really, what's the point of, you say, pressing on to perfection when actually we won't reach it in this life? Yeah, because those are the two dangers that people have that will say, oh, no, I am perfect. You know, I've entered into such an experience of the Spirit mm. that now I'm lifted beyond sin and problems and things like that. That's the real Christian life. And you're like, no, no, that's not authentic at all. Or what, probably most commonly people will say, well, sin's so powerful, there's no point in trying anymore. I've given up. I'm just... I'm saved anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm forgiven anyway. You know, they don't even bother fighting anymore. Often when people accept Christ... They get this idea that they place their sins on the counter and in exchange get a soul lined with asbestos for the price of somebody else's blood. Oh good, now that that's taken care of, I can get back to living life as usual. But we can't get away with that. I mean, look, Christ has shed his blood for us. And so we have to lay hold of this salvation and, and work it out in fear and trembling. We must press on, we must stand firm. Look at those verbs. Those are powerful verbs. Those are action verbs. Those are not put it in neutral and drift kinds of verbs. No, we are to take action, lay hold of, press on, stand firm, strive for. It takes effort, but it is a God-inspired and grace-energized effort. Yeah, and it's tantalizing because we're aiming for perfection, not even 99%, but for perfection. I believe it's 99%, then we're already backsliders. No, no, we're aiming for... 100%, but knowing that in this life we won't achieve it. Um, and we can live with that tension once we understand it. Perfection, perfection is in heaven. The end product of who I will be, the perfect Johnny, is yet reserved. That image is reserved in heaven. I am but a little, little rosebud down here on earth, but my responsibility as a rosebud is to con continue to unfold that design. Uh, that God has in mind, to continue to strive for, press on, lay hold of, and work toward that end product that I will be in heaven. The perfect Johnny. In the meantime, I got a lot of work to do, but uh, I'm not going to slack off. I'm not going to be lazy. <laughs> we can't leave this study without just looking at verse 20, which is really a good memory verse for, for our participants. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies to so that they like will be his like glorious his glorious body. body. I can't. You know it by heart. You know, I love that adverb that Paul uses. We wait eagerly. We just don't wait with a ho-hum, half-hearted attitude. I think the whole book of Philippians, we see an eager apostle who eagerly awaits the Savior. Why? Because one day he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his perfectly suited for the new heavens and the new earth. And that is a thing that we all are looking forward to. I was just about to say earlier that the Marxists could never understand this. They were looking for a, a life here on earth that was attainable, a worker's paradise, achievable here on earth. They were always going to be disillusioned. We are not. We live life on two planes. The earthly cities here, okay, with all of their darkness and the things we want to achieve here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we're looking for that new, new heaven, the new earth, and we're part of that which is to come, and how it galvanizes us in the present. May God bless you, may God bless us. Thank you so much, Bill.